Welcome to the latest episode of Talk in the Groove. We spoke to singer, vocal arranger and composer Jaleesa Anderson in the week where her 11-minute opus, Oxygen, was released on Dorado Records. Our chat was so wide-ranging that it will be split into two parts, and this first part focuses on Jaleesa's travels through and living in different cities and different countries, and the effects of space and place on her art. started by asking Jaleesa why she was now living in Atlanta, Georgia. This is where I came to after I got run off by the hurricane in yeah. New Orleans. In New Orleans, yeah. Uh, along with a, another million people, the exodus, yeah. the mass exodus from New Orleans. Um, I was in the studio recording a primitive guide to being there and... Um, you know, that's when the engineer was like, Jaleesa, we've just got uh, the final warning. We've got to pack up the studio mm. and, and try to get this gear uh, to high ground or something. And yeah. I was like, well, can I do this one more vocal before? <laughs> and I was like, no, Jaleesa, you don't understand. It's coming. And um, so, yeah, then that's when I realized, oh, okay. Mm. I need to really take this seriously. And I really, I managed to get 
at the end of the exodus where there's like i said a million people trying to leave the city yeah and, and it's basically back-to-back cars you're moving at a snail's pace five or ten miles an hour um there was no gas anywhere uh i was really blessed that i, I filled up the tank the day before yeah and uh there was just nothing you could do. If the hurricane did come, there was nowhere you could go because we were all just, that's probably the scariest part. Yeah, that, I can uh, There was no yeah. Red Cross coming to get you. They couldn't get to you. But somehow I, I uh, made it to Atlanta, mm. which is uh, like six, seven hours drive. You know, New Orleans was my first choice uh, after Brazil. Mm. You know, I'd went to Brazil, an exploratory mission, me and my big uh, Korg keyboard, and uh, spent like three months out there, went in the studio for a day or two, played with some local musicians. And where, where were you in Brazil? Whereabouts? Pelourinho, okay. Salvador. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Uh, is, that via... like, is that like up in the... I, I, my pronunciation of Portuguese is awful, but is that up in the the Bahia province? Yes, yeah. Bahia. Yeah, that's exactly was my choice. It wasn't yeah. Rio, um, hmm. Sao Paulo. I did roll through Belém because I wanted to go to the Amazon jungle. Of course, hmm. that's the dream. I wanted to meet the biggest tree I could possibly meet, and I did, and it hmm. did feel like meeting God <laughs> I mm. mean the tree was huge and the whole environment was huge and we're traveling up uh, uh, the Amazon River and uh, I casually given the DJ my CD you know just being friendly not thinking he was gonna drop it on his little ferry boat. So he dropped language electric and so oh, I got brilliant. a chance to see how it feels uh, when you're on the water amongst all that teeming wildlife, how the music came across. It came across different. Hmm. It was, uh, yeah, that was a moment for me because of course hearing language electric in the studio or, you know, at a club, that's one thing, but hmm. yeah. To hear that, it in the, was, on the Amazon. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I did that, and then I immediately went to Bahia in search of the deepest rhythms I yeah. could find. So, I mean, Bahia, that's the area where you're going to get those Yoruba rhythms, isn't it? Yes, that's what I was after. Yeah. Oh, amazing. And my experience there was just, it was like a dream. Mm. Uh, I stayed in a posada. Like I said, I took my keyboard with me, and... It was like a dream, and uh, I did a couple of tracks that are, have still yet to be released, but it's still on my track bucket list mm. to, uh, you know, do something with those recordings and, and performances uh, that I did in uh, Bahia. Well, I am absolutely intrigued to hear that, I, to hear that music, because... A lot of different things that I've read about you, what you've just said, and having listened back to 
Galact uh, yeah, Galactica Rush and and um, Language Electric, and comparing it to uh, Seven Keys, and uh, especially Oxygen. I, I I just got these sent like a sense of um, that when you went to Brazil, you would have definitely got the bar here. And so I'm really looking forward. To, so it I do hope that that I do hope that music comes out. Uh, I'm glad it. that you took you 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 kind of joined the dots on that hmm. because um, anyone who may be shocked at the oxygen piece, if they really know my work, they can hear bits of oxygen where I was going all along. Hmm. Uh, well, can I ask you about that specifically? Because um, so I've, I think place and context makes a huge um, can have a huge impact on anybody's art, whether it's music or visual art. And um, it did strike me as I was doing my research. Um, you're from, is it, um, where is it you're from? It's Mississippi, isn't it? Well, actually, I was born in Mississippi. Yeah. And as the blues folks say, I was born mm. in Mississippi. Well, you mentioned um, the blues. I did wonder how much of an influence <laughs> there was from there, as well I, as I think, um, the church. and, and, and yeah. yeah. We left when I was six months old. Ah, okay. Right. Due to the racial violence. Medgar hmm. uh, Evers, who we, we lived a block away from hmm. in Jackson, Mississippi in 1963, was gunned down in his driveway. Hmm. I'm in my mommy's belly at that hmm. point. Hmm. She's freaking out, looking for a gun. Then my dad got attacked at the radio station. He was uh, a radio announcer for the guy was jealous of him and just brutally attacked him, uh, hospitalized him, and, you know, the radio station owner tried to get my dad to stay. But I was, my dad was like, nah, mm. nah, we're leaving. And so I would have been raised in Mississippi had it not been for that specific incident and, of course, all the racial violence during that time. Mm. So we went to Louisville, and I was uh, raised in Louisville, Kentucky. Right. Okay. So these different places you've lived, including London uh, and New Orleans, and where you are now in, in Atlanta, um, they've got some very specific music styles and social differences as well, including what you've just discussed there. How much of that do you think comes into your music? If at all? Well, I would say during the 80s, before I came to London, really, it was all about Prince. At the time, he was like, the most solid, all-encompassing artist for me since, you know, mm. the 70s legends that I grew
grew up with. Mm. Um, Prince, Shaka Khan, Earth, Wind and Fire, Donny Hathaway. These were my staples. So I mentioned them. There are a lot of others, but mm. this is who I devoured at, at 15 years old, 14 years old. Would play the records over and over, and which I now realize is is a bit of a ceremony and a ritual when a when a kid um, starts to absorb music in this kind of obsessive way. Mm. They're receiving some sort of data, and they're also shaping their own data mm. through it. And uh, so I think it was all about that having fun in the eighties, the crazy neon. 80s in mm. Los Angeles. Uh, I just graduated from high school, went to LA, started in a city college, uh, didn't do very well there. Um, so I dropped out of, of the, the city college and joined a band. Yes, <laughs> this is the kind of story I like. <laughs> that band uh, was an all female band called Sugar. They had just won a Budweiser beer a talent show, which they won like, I think, $1,000 in Rickenbacker equipment and a singles deal with Mercury Records. So Lucky Me answered an ad in a paper looking for a singer because apparently they had fired the previous singer because you were drinking too much, right? So I come along in this spot, which, you know, this this group had already had these things going. So all of a sudden I'm on a bigger stage because, you know, they won the talent uh, contest. And uh, that kind of was my, my first moments in L.A. Mm. Got a job at Motown Records as a receptionist. And that exposed me to the whole Rick James, Smokey Robinson, Stevie Wonder you know, you get off the elevator and there's me, the receptionist, you know, in control of the buttons to buzz you back or mm. not. Please have a seat. Someone will be right with you. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that was kind of my journey. I started doing sessions. Then I ended up with my first professional recording session on Motown Records with a group called PAL. Shout out to Sinden and Red Collier. Uh, they hired me as a vocal arranger. I did some backing vocals. But what was impressive to me is I got a check for Motown. You know, I got a check for, for doing what I love. So that was the beginning before London. You know, just put my feet in the water um, mm. a bit. And... Um, yeah. And what prompted you to move to London? Well, that's an interesting story. Um, as all this was going on, uh, I got fired from Motown for for doing that session because you, you weren't supposed to be a singer. They didn't want you to be an aspiring singer as a receptionist. Ah, right. And so... Uh, the girls came to the Sugar Talent Show, you know, kind of showcase thing. They they heard me sing and perform live, and that's when they approached me to help them uh, with their record. And uh, that's when, I, you know, 
Someone found that at Motown. So I was dismissed. And then I got another job at Capitol Records, which is only up the road. Mm. It's Hollywood, 1983 or something. And uh, at the time, Red Hot Chili Peppers was an enigma. So I was still in this kind of orbit Mm. of of artists uh, spawned, you know, from the 80s. And uh, I was driving and this lady ran a red light and hit me. Right. And so I, I broke my second metacarpal in my left hand and I didn't know anything about insurance claims or anything like that. But apparently, because I could prove that, you know, I, you know, I played a bit of piano and that I was an artist, um, I was able to get an insurance claim. Mm. You know, I was awarded an insurance claim and that basically bought my freedom. Mm. So I had a choice to make. Go see the world or do something very responsible, like buy property or something. <laughs> so so you, you, you know, chose I the, chose to yeah. see the world. <laughs> yeah, and, good call. Um, London was the first stop, yeah. 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 Uh, where were you in London? I mean, did you have any idea of anything about London, where you were going, where you would be staying, what you'd no. be doing? It was classic. Uh, let's look at it to the paper. Where's a, what do you call it, hostel? Yeah. So I, I ended up at Elephant and Castle. Oh, yeah, the, South London. At, at the Driscoll House. Right. I don't know if you remember that. There's a very old building. And, uh, yeah, that was the real, real London. Yeah. Mm. And uh, one thing led to another. I had my little demo tapes and, you know, met a couple of people. I think Mel and Kim's manager at one point. And, you know, one thing led to another and uh, I ended up in Slough. <laughs> yeah. Of all places. Met, yeah. Met, met a bunch of people. And uh, that was Pete Zed uh, from Block 16 and Soul Family Sensation, mm. Johnny Mill from Republica, and, you know, Andy Weatherall was out there. There's a whole scene out there. So mm. I started doing duo jazz gigs with Pete Zed and Wise Up. That was uh, an ex-boyfriend of mine's band, which was brilliant, right? And just like great songs. So... I was having a good old time just integrating with British youth culture. Yeah. And I was like, these guys drink a lot. They stay in the pub a lot, don't they? Uh My God. And so, uh, but the music was great. And, you know, they encouraged me to stay because with my little three months or six months that was stamped in my passport was up. Uh, they encouraged me to stay. We ended up doing some demos. Those demos led to the one little Indian mm, contract. Yeah. So then I was attached to a British label, which allowed me to stay. Yeah. And do more work. Yeah. Yeah. So that yeah, brilliant. I mean, uh, I, I remember the one, the one little Indian label because it was quite diverse in its output. It had some interesting, um, musically diverse. It was very, 
you know, you couldn't say it was a soul label. You couldn't say it was a dance label. It just had different things. I, I seem to remember One Little Indian had some punk bands on there as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And Skunk and Nancy's, she is totally brilliant. Yeah. But, I of mean, course, did yes, I know. Yeah. What did I know? Yeah. I was coming from L.A. I mean, you know, I wasn't aware of any underground or hmm. any independent labels like that. You know, the closest thing to it would have been Red Hot Chili Peppers. Hmm. At the time, was on a very small label. It's a subsidiary of Capital. Hmm. But still, I had no music culture experience to that degree. So I came to London and they're playing my aunt's old records and uh, Bobby mm. Bird's mm. old records. And this to us was like old people's music. Mm. Mm. Oh, the rare groove thing. Yeah. Yeah. The rare groove thing. I'm like, they're really playing this. Yeah. Wow. Okay. It took a while for me to kind of catch on because we considered it. Mm. Old people's music. <laughs> and yeah. it was fascinating. They were really dropping it. But yeah. when you got into the bowels of the club and the sound system was just right, I got it. Introduce me to Rare Groove. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I remember the time very well. I think, I'm just trying to think of the date. So I was like 19 in 1986. 
So yes. a lot of, so for that next couple of years, a lot of things happened that was so exciting. Like you had the, the beginnings of the house music and the Balearic stuff and rare groove and uh, and the acid, acid jazz and, uh, sorry, the acid house. Um, I'm glad you mentioned that because it just makes me realise I landed at the, you know, the, the wonderful beginnings of these merging subculture music styles. It was, it was an amazing time. And, I mean, you timed that perfectly. And I feel quite lucky that I was born at the back end of the 60s to be a teenager when all that was going off. Right. You know, I, I sometimes look back and think, if I'd have been... What would I be into now if I'd have been born too late for that? Ooh. You know? Uh, I suppose yeah. every generation has got its moment. But for my for me, that was the that end of the 80s, mid-80s to sort of early 90s for me was just... It set everything. Well, it wasn't encouraged to merge styles and... Mm to go against the grain you yeah you know in la you're really tied to mainstream radio yeah that, unless you've got a, a, a uncle or someone who's going to introduce you to their record record collection and expand mm. your uh perspective on music mm. Mm. i mean i didn't even know who odetta was right she would have been considered an artist that everyone or all of the artists knew about, but mainstream audience mm. had never been exposed to her. So mm. I was pretty pissed about that, that, you know, it was later on that Nina Simone and Odetta and uh, just a lot of the greats, you had to know someone who was going to introduce it to you as a young person. As a young person, you're just listening to the radio and whatever comes on mainstream radio, you choose out of that. Mm, yeah, yeah. So I'm still catching up, mm, really. Mm, mm. Well, I just, I just think uh, it's lifelong learning. There's so it much is. great music and great art out there that I think there's something quite joyful in always still playing catch-up. Yes, especially globally. Yes. Now. Yes. And this is where, you know, from Iceland to Helsinki to Japan, um, I'm very into ancient musics as well. Mm. You know, the Vietnamese piece I heard uh, that was from like 1920 or 30 or mm. something like that. And it had so much like jazzisms in it. Yeah. There's so much out there. So now, you know, I'm just an open book to it all. Do you know, it's interesting you say that about the the, the kind of jazzisms as you put it in the Vietnamese music. Uh, um, Billy Bangs, the jazz violinist, went back on a bit of a pilgrimage back to Vietnam where he served exercised a few demons, took his violin with him and played music with Vietnamese people that he met there. 
and the album and the film. There's a wonderful documentary film and, and the album that he made, the recordings that he made that became an album. It's just incredible. And so, so you've just reminded me of that and it just sort of kind of cements what you just said, actually, for me. The, yes, and as, as well as what you said about how your environment influences your musical style. Yeah. So even if you're in your city and, and you start playing with someone from Brazil or uh, from Ukraine or, mm. you know, wherever, you're able to merge your two energies together. Mm. Mm. And uh, then it really does produce uh, something quite unique and quite global. Mm. It's unheard of. It would have never happened um, you know, in the past. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, never the twain shall meet. Yeah. yeah, yeah. South Africa, I went there in, I think, 93. Um, that was the trip that I, I, I just wanted to go to Africa. That was, I needed to go to Africa. Mm-hmm. And I chose... South Africa because Mandela had just been released. Yeah. And, um, you know, once again, I hooked up with some local musicians and uh, percussionists. And I, I try to find a studio anywhere, you know, just so I can record and document just to have a moment, even though I didn't have a huge budget to do these things, you know, mm. it wasn't all glamorous, but it was just the effort mm. to mm. try to um, combine energies. And mm. that's where Flute Band and Voltaire was born.
melodies and harmonies and movements unforgettable and mm. it turns out they would have to travel uh, you know quite a ways to Melville because that was kind of like the city spot like the boho area where you know there are a few tourists and things so that they actually lived in um, kind of the deep ghetto parts of Soweto. Oh, right, in the township. In the townships. And yeah. so they would travel and, and do this performance. And yeah, that, that was uh, very influential mm. for me yeah. to hear them and knowing the dangers that they faced just going back, getting back to the townships and going back and forth to, to deliver music. Mm, mm. Yeah. Mm. So the, the traveling you did, you, so you went to Brazil, you, um, you were talking about earlier, but you did South Africa. What did you travel up through Africa at all? Or did you manage to get to other parts? Well, from Cape Town to Johannesburg, that's a long way, isn't it? And there, yeah. there's a lot of differences each. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Cape Town's such an international city that it's got so many different influences going on there, isn't it? Yes. And uh, yeah, we got there, rented a car because my boyfriend at the time, some kind of argument ensued. And I think it was like, I'll just see you on the plane. I'm taking the car. Right. <laughs> so there's me going across, you know, just on an adventure, unaware yeah. of any dangers or what have you. And I just had a brilliant experience. No oh, wow. problems. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's just magical. It's just one of those things that, uh, you know, a young person dreams of, doing um, yeah oh that's fantastic yeah and if you're an artist as well i guess um a musical artist especially i um, i guess you you're kind of always going to be like your antennae is going to be tuned to pick things up as you're going along uh i certainly know that i mean i'm not a musician by any t no way, you know, karaoke and that's it kind of thing. And even then, there's a health warning involved. Um, <laughs> uh, 
but I've my love of music. I'm very aware of when I hear different things that I haven't heard before, or I'm very aware of where what you said earlier about joining the dots, where I hear something and think, okay, I can see now. I was in Havana, for example, and I was listening to these street musicians doing rumba, and I thought, yeah, I can hear the Yoruba rhythms in there, the West African rhythms mm. in there. And I was talking to one of the guys... Um, it was. It won. He was telling me that he's he'd won a Latin Grammy. So I met this guy that was a Grammy winner. And I think, <laughs> you know, just in the street. And as we, you do. As you do. As you yeah, do. Yeah. Now you know. it was my calling card. Um. Obviously, they hear the uh, American accent, and yeah. you think that's the thing. Yes. So they 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 may clock you and categorize you. Oh, it's an American. But mm. then when I bring in the musician part, mm. that melts all the way, all, all divides. And so the musician becomes the calling card. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And so that kind of led me to the right people because I always sought out the artistic. Yeah. 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 No, that, that makes complete sense. That's like you say, leads you to the right people. Yes. Because you've got that one thing that is going to be the bond or the, gonna, let's try exactly. this, shall we? That Break kind down of the thing. stereotype. Yeah. Because obviously Americans have a, a certain stereotype as tourists. Yeah. So yeah. they're trying to check and see, okay, <laughs> she's American. Or she, but then the music bonds us together. Yeah. You know, all other divisions mm. just melt away. Come 
For I 